Hi, and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Tara Humphrey. I run an award-winning healthcare consultancy specialising in supporting primary care networks. I'm a facilitator. I am a mum of three. I have an MBA and I would class myself as a bit of an adventurer. And I absolutely love all things business, all things leadership, all things management. So I created this podcast for clinical and non-clinical colleagues working in the field of health and care and for those of you looking to develop your leadership skills. Every week we release an episode which focuses on the hard and soft skills required to lead in this increasingly complex environment as we move to delivering more integrated care. So let's jump into this week's episode. Hey, and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I hope you guys are doing well. So in today's episode, I had the absolute pleasure of interviewing Emma Challens. Emma is a Director of Organisational Development and Culture and Talent, and she's also the founder and chair of a network called Proud to be Ops. In this interview, Emma talks us through her approach to creating vision and values. We talk about member etiquette and expectations sometimes we place on others and the importance of providing a safe space for people to turn up and not to worry so much about how much they engage and how they engage because we're all different. We talk about a very common discussion and debate around the differences between leadership and management and whether that distinction is important. We talk about time management and boundaries and I'll keep bringing this up because all of us are extremely busy. There isn't enough hours in the day and even though a lot of our guests share the same advice, I think it's really, really important to keep hearing it over and over again. And Emma also shares some really practical advice on how to move forward when not everybody agrees. So I know you're going to love it and it'd be great if you could share it on social media and I'll see you in the next episode. Hey, Emma, thank you so much for joining me today on the Business of Healthcare podcast. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Tara, in yourself? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. It's been a good week. I thought I would start the podcast in a slightly different way. Could you share, before we kind of get into who you are and what you do, a highlight from your week this week? A highlight from my week? My highlight has been yesterday I heard two of our primary care colleagues sharing the work that they've been doing the last nine months around equality, diversity and inclusion across the primary care workforce. And it was so powerful, so moving and so purposeful. And it just filled me with one sadness, but two absolute energy and commitment that we will support our colleagues to have a better experience in their working life. And it energised me, if I'm honest, and I just felt so much energy and passion. So that's definitely my highlight this week. And incredibly proud, I would say. Excellent. And then can you share a big decision that you're either considering or that you've made this week? That would 
be relating to our next steps around leadership development across our integrated health and care system. Next steps being further collaborative conversations to understand a a greater in-depth level in order to set a very clear vision and direction as opposed to going with what we've got, which we could do, but it doesn't feel right to do that. That's a big decision because it means winning hearts and minds just for a little bit longer to get to an outcome. And we all know how people love to get to an outcome and an action plan really quickly. But big decision is let's be careful and let's do it right. Well, thank you. And how would your colleague that works with you closest describe you in three words? What do you think they would say? Fun, compassionate, driven. Okay, thank you. So Emma, could you share with our audience a little bit about who you are and what you do today? Of course. So I've worked in health and care probably just over 20 years, although it doesn't seem like that. And I really got hooked in my very early 20s around working in health and care and particularly across the areas of service improvement and transformation. And what hooked me was the difference that we could make to improve people's lives, those who were receiving care, but also the families and the carers around them. And I recall working in a a learning disabilities division and seeing the impact of some of the work that we was doing. And I just immediately got hooked. And I knew it was an area that I wanted to continue to work in, learning and developing. And my career really has been across, always with an improvement theme, I would say. It runs as a thread both culture and improvement and varying roles where I've found that energy and interest. And that's been in service improvement, transformation. It's been in operationally managing and delivering services in uh, different NHS organisations, community acute. But I've also had the opportunity to spread my wings, I would say, a little bit and go out and experience different health and care systems in Europe and UK and work in different organisations to help improve care and also improve systems and processes. And I suppose I've gone on from there, really, and I started to get much more into the areas of OD, organisational development, that is, and transformation, and particularly around cultural development. And bringing improvement science and behavioural science together is a strong passion of mine and a strong belief of mine. And that's really what I've been practising and leading in for the past, I'd say, 10 years now. And I've been fortunate to do that at an organisational level, a system level, and also a, a national level. I live in Nottinghamshire, so people often say, Emma, where are you from? You've either got a Yorkshire twang or more of a Nottingham side. So make of that what you will. You can all decide whereabouts and maybe pinpointed. And where do you work today? What's your main gig? Of course, yes. So today I work in Nottingham and Nottinghamshire Integrated Care System. And I'm a director of organisational development, culture and talent across our system. And that also involves quality improvement as part of that portfolio. I've only more recently stepped into that role over the last two months. Prior to that, I was director of culture and improvement for Sherwood Forest Hospitals NHS Foundation Trust. It's amazing. And tell us about Proud to be Ops. 
Proud to Be Ops is a national network which I founded just over four years ago now when I was in a senior operational management role in a large acute hospital trust. It's a national network that's made up of operational managers and leaders from across health and care providers. I remember we were in a room together starting Proud to Be Ops off with 15 of us and we're now over a thousand members across the whole of the UK. And it's an incredible movement regarding raising the profile, acknowledgement, recognition, but importantly, developmental space for operational managers and leaders. I'm incredibly proud of that work. And as I've been in many senior ops roles, I'm very passionate about influencing in this professional area. What do you think is the thing that attracts managers like me to join a network like Proud to Be Ops? What are they looking for? It's a great question. I'd say there's three things within Proud to Be Ops that really stand out for me and and I know for our members based on feedback and why we keep getting more people wanting to join, which is brilliant. And that's that we offer a safe, supportive space where people can come together to talk to people and discuss things with people like me. When I say that, I mean people who get ops, people who are living and breathing what I do every day. It allows colleagues to come together and talk openly, to be respectfully challenged. But what we say often is to share the ridiculousness and to share the challenges. So it's a safe, supportive space. It's also the second thing I would say is is permission. If anyone has worked in a operational role in a very busy provider service, you'll know how busy it can be and challenging it can be and giving yourself permission that it's okay to take a bit of time out for you and your development from a health and well-being perspective personally, but also developing you as a leader, giving yourself permission to turn up in a safe, supportive space. And the third thing is that it's a deliberately developmental space. So our network is deliberately developmental. So we always deliberate in what we do and how we do it. And what we do is based on what our members need, So Proud to Be Ops is an independent network for the people who are within it. And that's important, which means that we're allowed to be deliberately developmental, both in terms of professional development as a leader, but also collective development as an operational manager and leader. Those are the three things that always come to the forefront of many of our conversations and discussion as a network. Where you say you're independent, and that's really important, have NHS England and big organisations seen what you're doing and tried to go, oh, that looks amazing. Can we have a bigger foothold in that? Why did you highlight your independence? Independence is important because we want to be different. We do not want to turn into a network where we are owned by someone and therefore the agenda is driven by someone else. Or what I see a lot of is you can turn up to a network of forum or session and you are told things like this is performance, this is the policy. Actually, we want members to turn up into a space and have an opportunity to co-develop that, to influence it, actually to look at the challenges within it and what that means for them. So independence is also important because it means it's a representative voice 
that will influence upwards, sideways and downwards. So having that independence means that we're able to influence, to share feedback, but also give a boots on the ground, real life response to something that may be being discussed at a national level or a regional level. So the independence is is very important for members. And and if we think about other institutes or organisations like, for example, Medicine, Royal College of Nursing and others, they are independent and there's nothing ever existed for ops before. But now we have proud to be ops. And it is true to say that, yes, NHS England, NHS Confederation are very aware of proud to be ops. But they also know that the independence was important. So they wish to collaborate and partner with us rather than own us. And that's because we've stuck to the fact of being an independent network. And it makes us who and what we are. Interesting where you say you co-produce things with your members they come to you with challenges and rather than you say there's one way to do it you co-produce it and you you discuss it and you work out what tools your members need but I've been part of networks where I completely understand and agree with that you're part of the network and you kind of think what have you got they're like what do you need I don't know what I need I'm just really struggling (laughs) and there's this constant push-pull have you experienced that what's the minimum a member could bring or should bring to your network It's a great question because something that I'm very passionate and aware that we have maintained since forming as a network is underpinned by our values, really, and our principles as a network. So, for example, any session that we run nationally, always open the session about this. Please be reminded of our values. This is a safe, supportive space where we respect each other in this forum. We are actively listened to colleagues. We engage with colleagues. We demonstrate compassion where we think is needed. And actually, this is a space where we can have debate. We can have dialogue. We can challenge in a respectful way. But please look out for each other in this space. And for example, none of our sessions are recorded And that's been a key element of it being a safe, supportive space. So anyone who joins Proud to Be Up, sign up to our values and principles, and we regularly remind them of those. And equally, any guests that we invite into our space, those are very clear of our values and principles as a network. So what that means is the expectations of people turning up into that space is that they respect those and they live those. And if for any reason they demonstrate that they are going against that, that's not what this space is about. That has been some of our foundations, which has allowed us to get to this point and have the respect and credibility that we do have as a network. So if I became a member, what does that mean I've got to give? I learned very early on not to get too hung up on how many people turn up into that space. So we've got over a thousand members now, but we don't get over a thousand members turning up for each session. We can get anything from 40, 50 people up to 100, 200. That's okay. People are there because that session is important to them. They've given themselves the permission and the time to be there. They want to be there or there's something that they particularly want to learn in that session doesn't mean everyone's going to turn up. I want members to be there because they want to be there, they need to be there, and they're getting value from the sessions. 
And all that we do ask is that they support each other as members. They do try and give themselves permission to turn up into the spaces and to live our values and principles and importantly, have fun in the network as well. And that's all that we ask and expect. I really hope our listeners remember that point. And I think that it goes beyond a network. I was on a call with our PCN managers and only, I think, six people turned up in the end. And we've got quite a big cohort and nobody said anything. And in the past, I would think, is it worth it? Why is nobody speaking? And at the end, they were like, oh, that was fab. Not everybody feels comfortable to ask questions. Sometimes people need to go away and just think about it. Oh, they may think that wasn't very good. And then in three months later, they may think, oh, she said X. I talked about what are the expectations, but sometimes as the host, you kind of relieve yourself of that expectation because people won't act in the way that you want them to, and nor should they. Everybody's individual. You're right. And that takes some learning. I I will say, as the chair of the network, I've had to go through that experience of being kind to self, I would say. And also, I think you're absolutely right. Sometimes you don't realise until you start to look for it properly, rather than being blinkered of the impact that you may be helping through the network or the network is having. So for example, we now have got lots of things that the network's enabled. Now, we didn't directly have to deliver a session on it, but we've energised members. When they've gone away and took something on themselves to take the way that we do things to their own environment, that in itself is worth its weight in gold. And that's why I think if you get the conditions right, if you get the way that you engage and you take that deliberately developmental approach, it is a movement. And we do say Proud to be Opt is an operational movement. And I think the movement is an important element of it because the movement, it's like when you have a river streaming and it can go off in many ways. Proud to be Ops, to start with, had one stream. It's now got that many multiple streams that's filling lots of different reservoirs up, I would say. And that's brilliant. And the more of that, the more we are having an impact. And that feels wonderful. And seeing the members of the network leading these streams, empowering them, and they feel like they've got permission and they've got the body of Proud to be Ops behind them and the confidence to just crack on with it and just do it, have a go. And that's what they're doing. And it's amazing. It's brilliant to see. How long did it take you to nail your vision and values? It's a tiny bit easier when me or you thinks, I see a need here and it's just me. But most of our listeners are working within an organisation where people are working together. They haven't chosen their colleagues and we're trying to come up with a vision and values and it takes ages. And then people just give up because it's, it's just not working. How long did it take you and your network? I think initially, quite early on, and and I think this is what probably helped to some degree, I have been an operational manager and leader. So I, I knew some of the fundamental things that I needed as an ops manager and leader in what was this lonely, isolated space. And then getting together with 14, 15 people in a room, we already had a lot of similarities and started to define our principles. And then if I'm honest, I think they've just organically come into fruition and and I think that's another important element don't force it I think we often try to seek perfection in our vision and values and actually just go with something that's good enough 
that would be a piece of advice I would give. Just go with something that's good enough. Don't get too hung up about it. Yes, it's important. And yes, you've got a pretty good idea and go with that. And then over time, test it, experience it, live it. And the more people you interact and engage with, the more that you start to, you're co-developing it as you go and you're shaping it and further refining it as you go. And I wouldn't say ours is perfection now because I'm sure we'll tweak it as we go, but we've got a pretty good idea of who we are and what we're about and what our values are and how how we live them. So yeah, you've got to be a little bit brave and do not seek perfection because perfection doesn't exist, full stop. Just one more point on that. Does your shared vision require every single person to sign up for it in the beginning? So if you've got 15 people and you know like you've got that shared language and shared understanding, but there's 13 people that are like, absolutely yes. And then you've got another two people thinking, well, I no, I don't agree. I, I'm not fussed about us being independent. Do you go with the majority? Because that's, I think, where... I don't know if people are thinking in their mind, I want it to be perfect, but they're thinking, I want to do this properly and then I want everyone to be signed up. Can you create a shared vision where not everybody is signed up in the beginning? Absolutely you can, yeah. It's about, therefore, is this space the space that you need to be in then right now? So, for example, if some colleagues or people are not bought into the vision, well, then this may not be the space that's right for you at this point in time. So there's something about readiness. For those that are the majority that are ready for this, this is the space that they want to be in, they need to be in, and they will get something out of. For others, don't force it. If it's not, it's not. And it just means that they're not ready or they may not have that need. That's okay then they need to seek something that is going to meet their needs. But also, I would have hoped that you would have had that dialogue to understand why they were not bought into that vision. So be curious. Could you share with me a little bit more? Why not? Could you share with me some other thoughts or options that you're considering or what you need then that would describe your vision. So I think it's important in elements like that to be curious and to lean into it, because otherwise you could get blinkered of my way or the highway, which I don't think is a healthy approach. Yet we've also talked about, but there's the majority that are actually have that vision and want to be part of that. So it's important to explore it. It's important to be curious However, it's also about readiness for change and based on those people's needs at that point in time. And I think for the leaders listening, you have to be brave and go for it, even though not everybody is signed up for it. Otherwise, you just get this procrastination going round and round and round and round in a circle. Then you start to lose the people that were on board in the first place. I think maybe we're making it sound simple, but it can be challenging. It's when you're working across an ICS, you've talked about the decision that you need to make. You're asking people to wait. Let's be very considered. But I think you've provided some helpful advice. Yeah, I think bravery is right, though, Tara. You have got to be brave and back yourself. And you know what? Sometimes that will work really well and sometimes it will not work out as well as you hoped. But it doesn't mean that you can't still move forward from it. One of the things I was thinking is that when I very first started on my career, I wanted to be a leader. There's this funny hierarchy. You're a manager and I'm a leader. 
And I used to think, well, I want to be a leader. I don't want to be a manager. And now I've been running my business for seven and a half years. Sometimes I'm asked to speak. One of my first slides is like, I am a proud primary care network manager. And I feel like everyone wants to be leaders. No one wants to be managers. And I think I'm a, a proud manager. And I think that there's this distinction and it's academic. And I see it probably every day, like a quote, leaders do this and managers do X. And it really annoys me because I think as a CEO of a business and a PCN manager, I don't think now I'm leading. Now I'm managing. Now this is operations. I just think of it as all one and different situations require different skills. What is your view on leadership and management? Does it need the distinction? And it's interesting, isn't it? And maybe this is something about being in in the environments that we work in, because I would concur with those experience of defining, you know, you're a manager and then when you make it, when you make it big, you're a leader. And I always remember in aspiring to be an exec director and on a board and everything. And when I reached that, I thought it's not much different to being in other roles. And, and you know what? It's, it's not always all it's cracked up to be. But I think that is some of the the way that we train and the way that we develop people. When I look back, that is what's kind of hardwired into us a little bit. When you go through academic programs, gain professional attainment, when we talk about mentoring, leadership, when you move from being a manager to a leader, and really what it's describing in another way is skills that you're developing and styles that you're developing. And actually, wouldn't it be more powerful to describe it in style of the way you do things and actually the skills that you have that make you more capable, that give you the capacity to do what you do and how you do it? But I do concur with that. And I I do also reflect some of that is about the training and the way that you are grown as a person in different parts of your career. When I think about the way I go about things now, I don't really badge either of them. And and it's interesting that you do say that because I often put and elaborate actually, and, and I always use the two together around saying that Proud to Be Ops is an operational network for operational managers and leaders. Now, I could put operational staff But if I'm honest, I do not like the word staff. I really don't. I just think it's almost a them and us. And I prefer colleagues or people that I work with and alongside. I don't like the badge of staff. So I do feel because the way that we categorise, I have to say managers and leaders. But to me, they're the same person. I'm going to be a total hypocrite now. I think I use them interchangeably, but I was saying to my colleague Jade, her title is primary care development manager, but we're all on this it's a coaching program called the Leadership Lab. And I think they were all like, why are we doing it? It's like, because I want leaders. I want leaders that manage. <laughs> I want some leaders that coach, leaders that know their administration and know how to organise ourselves in the different situations that we find ourselves in. But I think the blanket word leaders is encompassing that you also manage maybe it's semantics but I think sometimes we're all quite defensive of our profession doctors will think no I'm a doctor and the nurses think well no what about the nurses and the managers think, what about the managers but I think the direction of travel is and that probably in your space and the conversation we talk about leaders at every level and you might have a receptionist that is a leader and there are certain people that have got that presence and they might not be aware of it 
not everybody wants the responsibility of the title, but there are lots of leaders. Much of my work and what I do as well, and I really love, is is around culture, culture improvement, transformation. And actually, when I'm looking at opportunities, it is about who are our super connectors, who are our influencers in what we've just been talking about. You wouldn't necessarily call them a manager or a leader. They're a person, but they are the most influential and sometimes often can be much more than what you would say is someone who's got a title as a manager or the leader of of a directorate or division. But they have got much more influence and connectivity that people listen to and are respected and valued and would follow than a lot of managers at times. So there is something about branding and also sticking a label on. You know, often people who work in particular NHS environments, I mean, the amount of times I've heard someone said, oh, I'm only a band three or I'm only a band four or or, I'm only a secretary. Oh, it makes my toes curl because it's a person and you can all influence and you can all do great things if you're given the opportunity the best to be the best that you can be. I suppose it goes back to what you were saying about the permission and I'm sure people come into your network and I use the word power. Hopefully they... Once they're part of your network, they realise the power that they hold regardless of their title. I'm a valuable member of this team and I've got a lot to bring and hopefully hopefully they feel that way. And I think in my sphere of primary care network managers, it's a dream job to manage a network, 50,000 patients, maybe £1.5 million budget, a clinical workforce. I think that's a dream job. A good manager is the heartbeat of many departments, many organisations. I think the thing's recognition, isn't it? You think actually sometimes managers can be the one they're not recognised because they're busy supporting their colleagues and recognising them and they can therefore often get missed. If we think about when we celebrate people, how often do you see the manager of a whole division or, or an exec? How often do they get socially praised? Well, they don't often. It's usually the members who are working in the teams that get recognised. I think it's about feeling valued, recognition that I am valued and people do care about what I do and how I do it. And every now and then I do get a thank you and that's nice. Speaking of recognition, when we first met, I was talking about the HSJ Awards. I'm like, if I win a HSJ award, I feel like I've made it. <laughs> I can retire early. I'm in the presence of a HSJ award winner. What did you win your award for? Don't have to say this, Tara, but we actually got two HSJ awards. Yeah, so we've got one with regards workforce innovation. And we won another award, which was about health and well-being initiative. And we're also finalists in an upcoming HSJ award, which is with regards Elective Care Recovery Initiative of the Year. And that's some work we've been doing with Proud to Be Ops. Again, for a platform of where we've had three of our members who have trailblazed with an idea, we've supported and we've worked together on it. And it's called Sharing Elective Stuff, which goes out virtually and has had great success and impact So, yeah, we're really proud of that. But the main thing for us, Tara, is the continued getting the profile and the visibility of ops colleagues across health and care, because it is a lonely place for them. They're often not recognised and they feel unloved. 
Well, they did feel unloved. They feel a lot more love now through Proud to Be Ops. Those awards are for the members who are in it and just recognising the incredible work that they do each day, 365 days, 24-7. And they truly are that. And those awards are for them. Okay, I've got some really practical questions now. How do you manage your time? How do I manage my time? I've got a lot better at managing my time. I do work full time. So just for sake of argument, my full time job is with Nottingham and Nottinghamshire Integrated Care System. But I am very fortunate that they do support me to continue to be involved with Proud to Be Ops which is great. But at the end of the day, I have still got a full time job there. So I do have to balance how I do that. I won't lie. I do do things in my own time quite a lot with Proud to Be Ops. But I love it. I enjoy it. I get a lot out of it personally, professionally. And I've learned to say no. I feel very privileged at times that I get asked to be part of things, involved with things. And I've started getting better at choosing wisely and respectfully declining certain things, not closing the door, but just not now at this point in time. So I've got braver at doing that and I've got more comfortable with doing it rather than sometimes I've looked back and taken on too much and put myself under pressure and strain. So I've now found a nice balance where I can build it into my working life but also I can still take those opportunities in my own time, but it's my choice to do that. And I do choose to do it because I enjoy it and I believe in it. I love how you said you don't shut the door. It's thank you, but not at this time. The reason why I keep asking people on the podcast to share that is because we all know the answer. Like, How do you do it? How do you do more than one thing? Most people that come on the podcast do more than one thing, have more than one gig. And it is about saying no and learning to just not feel bad about it. There's only so many hours in the day. I'm a big believer. If you operate like high vibe, you keep getting the opportunity. It's like a bus. You miss one bus. There'll be another bus. There'll be another bus. It's healthcare. It's not going anywhere. Exactly. Definitely that. And choose well. When I look back, there's things that I've put myself under pressure to do when actually I enjoyed it and it was great. But it's not added anything for me. And I found myself doing too many things that weren't necessarily doing things that were equally adding value to me to be able then to give back to colleagues and people that I worked with. So it is about respectfully declining at that time and choosing well. But I agree, sometimes you do have this kind of persona. I'm fascinated by many things and I think I've probably already said that and I'm always really curious which does get me into spaces and it gets me into many spaces. Some of them I shouldn't be in at times. And then I either find myself more drawn into them or asked to continue being part of them. But you have got to balance it and you have got to be kind to yourself in it. But, oh boy, it's a lot of fun though. I will say that. Before we press record, Emma, you asked me how I was and I was like, I'm really good. Today I will finish on time. I will finish work on time. And I've said to myself, no matter if I worked... 24-7 for just a month I feel like I would a create loads of work the work would never ever be done and that's my permission I've had a really good week it's been full on and it is movie night Friday I'm going to go home fish and chips and I'm going to watch a Christmas movie you do have to say no to yourself and yes to yourself no to certain parts of yourself 
You do. You really do have to. The thing is, you've got to hold the mirror up. If you think about when we coach or mentor colleagues or people that's come our way, you have got to hold the mirror up to yourself. So you find yourself giving very good advice out, but you're very rubbish at taking it yourself. So you have got to, as someone who's going to survive and do great things and keep your energy levels up, you have got to hold the mirror up and ask you, where am I right now? And actually, what do I need right now? And that's where you get to the point of going home, putting a movie on, getting fish and chips and just downing your tools because it's okay. It'll be there tomorrow and it'll be there the day after. Obviously, we wanted to talk about Proud to Be Ops, but I think I have been doing this podcast long enough to know that my audience love to hear about the person. I think you won't realise you've imparted so much good practical advice. But to leave our listeners, for those of you that are interested in Proud to Be Ops, where should they go, Emma? We have a Twitter account. So we have at Proud to Be Ops and Proud to Be Ops is spelt P-R-O-U-D, number two, B. OPS. So we had it called ones Proud to Bops, which made me absolutely howl. If you want to bop to it, you can do. That's absolutely fine. We're on Twitter. We're also on LinkedIn as well. Again, that's at Proud to Be Ops. And we also have a, a landing page on a website and an email address. So you can provide those details. And if you want to look for me on Twitter, I'm at Emma Challens, or one word. And you can get in touch with me. I'm very happy to connect you through. I look forward to engaging with anyone who gets in touch after this. Thank you. so much for joining us if you like what you hear i would absolutely love it if you left us an itunes rating and five star review i know many of you give us a shout out on social media which is lovely to see you guys listening to the podcast so please come and find us on twitter at thc primary care on instagram and on linkedin just look for tara humphrey and if you're not subscribed to our newsletter please do you get to hear more insights more confessions some tips and tools and a roundup of our activity over the week. So click on join the newsletter in the show notes and I will see you in the next episode.